everyone. Welcome to Twig 257. We've got the usual four suspects. Philip Black, game economist at Game Economist Consulting. Hey, hey. Eric Kress, principal at Gossamer Consulting Group. What up? Jen Donahoe, marketing executive at Jade Inferno Consulting. Howdy, everyone. And you've got me, Laura Taranto, head of new games at Big Fish. So this week, we're going to be talking about Sony, Brawl Stars changes. Well, we'll cover a little bit of Match Factory, the finals, the Exola report, and Omega Striker. So Eric, how's it going? All good. I did want to give a shout out real quick to Mr. Brett Nowak. I saw him at a basketball tournament, right? It was like worlds colliding, as he said in his thing. His son absolutely destroyed it. He was like MVP for his grade. He got like 16 points per game. He was knocking down threes. He was a force to be reckoned with. And he's like this little tiny little kid too. It was pretty amazing. So anyway, congrats, Brett. Um, and yeah, you're just as grouchy in real life as you are on the phone. Just saying. Wait, before you go on, Brett is liquid and grit. And they give us a lot of access to great reports Laura, you and I should probably look into that and pull some reports for the next pod. But if anyone was wondering who Brett is, Liquid and Grit, awesome resource. Yeah, Brett is one of the smartest guys in the industry, but he's also even more grouchy than I am. Although he's trying to change his reputation. So Mishka had some idea about who will Supercell get sold to. So we got some feedback from Slack, Google, Disney, Apple, Take-Two, Sony, Roblox, IPO, Savvy. Private equity actually does make some sense, to be honest. In the Slack, you know, please sign up to join. A lot of people were giving their opinions. And Mishka asked this question and then starts berating poor Paolo, who, who gives a couple of ideas of like, oh, it could be Netties. And, you know, Mishka's like, no, Netties is an enemy of Tencent. It can't possibly be then. I'm like, Mishka, don't ask poor people for their response if you're going to yell at them. So it was pretty funny how that went down. But I think that the idea was that a lot of people threw out a lot of options. But Chris, I think you were kind of yelling at the question. <laughs> The question makes no sense. Tencent wants as much revenue coming from the West as possible. This is like one of their golden gooses. This is like selling Riot, right? Why would they ever do that, right? And I don't know what he's hearing or who he's hearing it from, but I don't think it makes sense for Tencent to sell this asset, period, end of sentence. And sure, I mean, there could be buyers out there for this thing, but certainly they can't go public given their performance over the last three or four years. And I don't even know why the question is even asked, to be honest, so I don't want to shut it down, but... It'll be interesting to see, but I don't think it would be another Chinese company. Like, yeah, you're right. Tencent wouldn't sell it to another Chinese company like Netmarble or NetEase or Nexon or anything like that. So I don't know. Any other ideas out there? Let's get on the Slack and start discussing for Mr. Mishka. All right. Moving on to shilling. I have a shill. So many of you know I work for big companies and I've been a big company minion for most of my career and I've just started this consulting gig. You know, it's the three consultants and Laura, we usually joke from <laughs> Laura from Big Fish. So consulting for me has been like two months or two and a half months. And one of the things that I really missed about being out on my own is that team vibe, working with smart people on hard problems. And so I recently I found someone who can be my Wonder Twin Powers Activate partner. So I'm excited to announce that I'm joining forces with Stan Kwan at Beta Hat Market Research. I'm going to be a strategic marketing consultant. I came up with that, so I sounded really smart and had the word marketing in it. So to use Phil's language, here's our thesis, that consumer insights, a consumer insights lead plus a marketing lead is a one plus one equals three formula. 
to really plus up actionable insights and recommendations in a language and a manner that devs and marketers can quickly run with and make improvements on the product or live service. So we're gonna tackle all kinds of consumer insights projects across any game platform. So from mobile to console to PC, we're gonna look at game concept testing, segmentation, even marketing campaign optimization. You know, Phil, we're gonna try to tackle marketing ROI. I know you love that one. It's a tough one to answer, but we're gonna try to help come up with some ways to do that. So if you're looking for help on CI, Consumer Insights, reach out to Stan or I, where both of us are in the Deconstructor of Fun Slack and we're on LinkedIn. So thank you for letting me shill my new opportunity for Wonder Twins Power Activate. Oh my God, will you stop with the Wonder Twins, please? <laughs> anyway, obviously a huge fan of Stan. He's a good friend. He works really hard. He's a really smart dude. Most importantly, as I said in the copy a long time ago, He's actually worked in the industry, so he's not like some CI guy from a big company that doesn't know anything about video games. And I think working with Jen will create a big opportunity to you know, deliver kind of services cradle to grave, so to speak, from early stage content testing all the way through campaign strategies and ongoing marketing support. So feels like a great fit and hope you guys kill it. Oh, thank you. We all have like EA in common. He's an EA alum as well, worked on a lot of big games and We've been through the ringer together, so it's nice to tell those war stories. Thanks, Chris. All right, Phil, corrections? Maybe one, but not for the hyper-casual fans in the audience. On the last episode, I said that <laughs> fake ads are from the hyper-casual playbook when you were talking about Wonderblast. I misspoke here. I am so sorry to the hyper-casuals out there. In fact, hyper-casuals almost never use fake ads. They almost always demo the gameplay. That's core to their strategy. It's always 4X and casual that will use fake ads. I'm sorry to have offended the hyper-casual people. You don't need to slide into my DMs anymore. I'm here for you. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> First of all, we on this podcast, it is a policy. We never apologize to hyper-casual games, period. <laughs> End of sentence. <laughs> They do not deserve your apology, Mr. Phil. It's hyper -casual. You can't see the beauty, Eric. I will get you to play some of these gorgeous games. Gorgeous. Mob Control is fantastic. Oh Aqua Park. Hole and Phil is a franchise in waiting. You can't see the beauty yet. Diamonds in the rough. It's going to take another lifetime. Phil has a number of hyper casual clients. This is what this means, right? Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Potentially, but that's just they paid me to see the beauty and I ended up seeing it naturally. <laughs> dude, let's get real. Homa called you. Jeff Cohen gave you a call and said, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Stop talking trash about our fucking business. All right, moving on. All right, let's get into quick hits. We'll start with kind of big picture stuff. So first, NetEase Games has tapped Riot Games and Blizzard veteran Greg Street to lead a new fully remote studio called Fantastic Pixel Castle. So Greg was actually leading the Riot MMO and then left to do his own thing. And now they're working with NetEase. So this is a AAA MMO codenamed Ghost that's set in a new fantasy universe. As we predicted, Fortnite's new season was nostalgic. Going back to the OG original map, it was the biggest day in Fortnite's history with 44.7 million players jumping in for 102 million hours of play. So, wow, a great strategy. We had something similar where we were gonna go do that on TFT is bring the original map back. It's a great way to save a little money and feel nostalgic for players who yearn for that very first season. My daughter even wanted to get on and play for some reason for this nostalgia factor. It's nuts. And it was actually far more painful, according to my friends at Epic, to get this thing done, but it, they got it done. And yeah. it's actually doing really well for them. 
That's what we found too, is going back in the past when your tech has changed actually makes it more difficult, but some of the art and everything is already done. And my friends at Epic were saying they don't understand because the original map is really boring. <laughs> They've really made advancements in how the map plays, but the nostalgia factor really did bring people in. Speaking of Epic, the Epic versus Google jury trial is now underway as of November 6th. A lot of people are predicting that Epic won't win that one either because Google has a lot more leeway than Apple did and they didn't win against Apple except for the one, one little thing. So from GameIndustry.biz, Super Mario Wonder remained at the top of the UK box charts for a third week, keeping EA Sports FC 24 at number two. The football title rose one spot as Spider-Man 2 fell to number three. Oh no, after a 40% decline in sales week on week, according to GFK data. Miyamoto himself took to Twitter to announce that Nintendo is working on a Zelda live action movie. It's happening. Oh my God. It's happening. The nerds are losing their minds. This is amazing. The nerds oh. are losing their minds. What I was reading in the Deconstructor Fun Slack was people were saying, why not animation? Why live action? One Piece, which is anime that's on Netflix, you know, had a mixed review. I don't know. I think they're starting to see success with, you know, Super Mario. They brought that to live action in a great way. Let them try. Who cares? Go for it. Live action movies have so much CGI anyway. Like you can't even call them live actors. They cast real actors and put a whole bunch of stuff on them to make them not real anymore. I mean, the minds are so blurred regardless. Agree. You got to double dip, Jen. You got to do the live action. Then you do the animation. Just this is the Disney playbook. And then you can inverse it. So you can double dip on them both. Agree, because what Avatar is doing, Avatar The Last Airbender, so the live action show will be on Netflix coming, I think, in Q1. And then they've also announced that they're doing animated theatrical movies for Avatar The Last Airbender that takes them and the main character kind of grows up in the movies. So there's about to be a lot of both live action and animation coming around IPs. I think it's a great way to appeal to a multiple audiences. That's the theme right now. Yep. When we were talking about Metacritic last week and how the number of games for 2023 had the highest Metacritic scores, I wanted to do a data poll and just analyze how many of those were reboots and non-original IP versus original IP. And I feel like with the theme is everyone's leaning back into what's been working. Agree, agree. Yep. All right, next point. So, hey, marketers, this is brilliant. This tactic is brilliant. There was an announcement that GTA 6 will be announced with a trailer in December. So brand new tactic, everybody, announce that you're going to announce. You get a whole other marketing beat. <laughs> I think that only works with GTA. I know. I'm totally joking. I understand. In ad tech news, AppsFlyer has acquired Dev2Dev, a comprehensive data analytics solution tailored for games and app developers. So they're talking about how this is going to really help with the privacy. As I say, privacy and Crest is pulling his hair out, but they're hoping to expand some of their services with Dev acquisition. Good luck. <laughs> Crest, I'll actually hand it to you. <laughs> Layoffs. Employment closures. The now former COO of Embracer Group, Mr. Egil Strunk, he left the company during the restructuring to join Strunk Games. Actually, it's not a game company. He's a consultant, right? He's basically doing consulting. It's like almost like he's trying to save face by creating his own consulting thing. The fact of the matter is the rats are leaving the ship as it sinks into the ocean, right? And so him is like the lieutenant for Mr. Lars. It's not a good sign. 
of the future of this company, right? Very scary. Ubisoft again, of course, you know, laying off people in fucking Canada of all places. That's the only place they make games that actually sell, that do well, right? And they're laying off, I don't even care how many, 2%, it doesn't matter. Like, lay off zero. Go to France, shut down that office, get everyone out of France, and then you'll start talking about saving money, dude. Enough of this bullshit of closing studios and shutting down, like, distribution and publishing in, in the U.S. Fuck that, okay? That, that's ridiculous. Anyway, there's no productivity in Paris. Get rid of everybody, all right? Enough. Moving on. Investments and M&A. Kratos Studios launches Kratos Games Network to invest in game studios in India. A $6 million fund wants to target 10 to 15 studios. That's kind of mice nuts, but whatever. Phoenix Games announced that they acquired Sad Panda Studios, the Canadian developer of Crush Crush. And then French hyper and hybrid casual publisher Tap Nation just raised a new 16 million rounds of funding. Really? The French mafia continues. Really? Who, who's in the, on that? Who's investing in France? They are out of their minds. Out of their minds. All right, moving on, Phil. Games. Zynga and Peak have launched Match Factory Global, a big swing at the emerging 3D match subgenre. We'll be covering this next week after we have a little bit more data to see how the launch went. Anime streaming service Crunchyroll is adding premium anime mobile titles to some of its subscriptions. Clearly, it was blown away by the success of Apple Arcade and Netflix. BlizzCon News. Warcraft Rumble approaches $4 million in four days. Almost half of the revenue coming from the U.S. We'll continue to track this one and see how it's doing. At BlizzCon, Blizzard announced the next three expansions for World of Warcraft, dubbed the World Soul Saga. The storylines of the 10th, 11th, and 12th expansions will weave together in a cohesive narrative. They also announced a new Diablo expansion called Vessel of Hatred. It's going to feature a new class and a new region to explore, and this is going to be out sometime in late 2024. And when they had an interview with Rod Ferguson, who is the franchise manager, he mentioned that they want to do expansions for the game annually. Jen, I think you were on the floor for BlizzCon. You might have seen some of this announced live. I did. I did. So first of all, just my quick recap of BlizzCon. Number one, the quality of the show and all of the people there, it was just off the charts amazing. They do a fantastic job. It is a bucket list attendee for any fan. You got to get there. It had S plus tier cosplay. The people who come in their costume, I actually were wondering, I had to ask some of them if they were hired talent. They were that good. However, it is an F tier hygiene from attendees. Please wear deodorant when you go to a show. I don't know how you don't do that, but it is really rough. So also I wanted to hit some news from Overwatch. So they did something unprecedented. So not only did they reveal a new tank hero, Maga, who I think he is a Samoan hero. They made him immediately playable for everyone during the weekend trial. Developers showed off two more heroes coming to Overwatch in 2024. One of the heroes coming is Venture, and they are a damage class character who will be the game's first non-binary hero. So congrats for having some diversity in the game. So I was really happy to see that. My quick take on BlizzCon, I agree with Jen. Like it is definitely something you got to go to once as a fan of Blizzard. But I think for me, like once was enough. Again, I think I've said this before. It's like being a Star Trek fan and then being a Trekkie, you know, like going to the conferences is just one step too far for my uh, coolness. But the event was actually relatively stock shock full of stuff. What was interesting though, is they really 
there was no depth to it except seemed like the world of warcraft expansion there was absolutely no details about it just the fact that they're doing like three right so it's like kind of weird in that way and you know we've talked about this before but diablo is doing a expansion pack strategy which is good but not great for a software as a service like missing huge amounts of potential by not really doing a aggressive software as a service type microtransaction thing but the expansion is coming next year as we expected so that's good and that's about it i mean i'm actually really curious as to how far warcraft rumble did two and a half men or whatever those guys matei and ponytail guy <laughs> two and a half <laughs> the television show two and a half men it's just matei and the ponytail guy all i could tell there's three of them <laughs> i know but i always forget the other guy's name what's his name jacob he's and the half gamer Felix. oh yeah jacob jacob anyway they did a really good podcast on the nuts and bolts of Warcraft I listened to. Mm -hmm. And it is really interesting what they're doing with that game. It is super hardcore. It is super monetizing heavy, which is something I never thought they would do. And I think, Phil, you made the point that they probably learned from what was successful on Diablo potentially. But nonetheless, this is a little bit different than I would have expected from them. <laughs> so we'll see how long it does. And they were kind of bitching and complaining about the fact that it was so complex and they were so aggressive. But that's actually what makes money. The problem is that how can they really expand this to the broader audience? Like this could have been a game that was really successful like three years ago before IDFA and all the Apple shenanigans. But it'll be interesting to see if they can scale this beyond what it is. My strategy would have actually been to go more casual, but we'll see. It's going to be an interesting case study with this kind of brand and a decent game. One thing just to double click into that you said. So when you're on site, there's a lot more video content. So each room, each of the halls has its own video monitors, which I don't know how they do this, but the sound is amazing. And there's a stage somewhere. And so they're broadcasting all of the content. So they did actually go really deep. Actually, I was like kind of bored because I'm not a Warcraft nerd like, like many people. They were going into the new zones, the new characters, the backstories. Like they went super, super deep. So if you were a fan and you were there, you did get a ton into what the new expansions for Warcraft were going to be. Well, I actually bought the expansion. I pre-ordered the expansion because I'm a nerd, but like they didn't give any details about what this expansion is going to be, right? Like no new classes, what they're doing with the, with the existing classes and, and yeah, content, lore. Maybe they had that. I didn't see it. Yeah. If you were there, you got rows on computers set up and they have it set up by class. So if you're a mage or okay. blood elf or whatever the hell... So I have some pictures. I'll post it in the Slack so you can see. I was just impressed with the hundreds of computers set up for you to go in and play through some of the new expansion. So I think they're trying to do something special. Like if you had the, I think it's a $300 ticket for the non-VIP ticket, you can go and you can actually play the new expansion packs. So one other thing that I thought was really interesting is... The devs are like celebrities. And so they'll have a dev table and people wait in hour long lines, like hours to get the devs to sign their posters or whatever. And what was the cutest thing ever is the devs are so excited to meet the content creators. So many of the content creators would show up and get, and then they were taking pictures. And so it's like, who's the celebrity now? Is it the content creator or the dev? So it was a really fun thing to see. And it reminds us as game makers who listen to this, that you know, people think we're celebrities. Well, not me, because I'm a marketer. I don't do anything. But you guys who make games are often viewed as celebrities, and they were so excited to meet them. Goodness, Supercell should do something like that. They probably should. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those game designers would be heralded as celebrities in the world. 
The games industry is experiencing unprecedented growth, with global revenues projected to reach a staggering $268 billion by 2025. But with more players than ever connecting across platforms and devices, how can your game stand out against the competition? AppsFlyer has created AppsFlyer for Games to help you unlock your player's true LTV by providing a wealth of game measurement solutions, unique industry insights, and proven best practices. Our dedicated hub is packed with innovative products, industry partnerships, and unrivaled expertise to ensure your game brand adapts and thrives. We understand that every game is unique and AppsFlyer's data-driven insights allow us to cater to your specific needs. We know that in today's evolving landscape, staying ahead of the curve is crucial. Trust in AppsFlyer for games to guide you through this exciting journey. We have the tools, the knowledge, and the passion to help you succeed in this ever-expanding landscape. Together, we'll conquer new worlds, both real and fantasy, break records, and create gaming experience that leave a lasting impact. Get in touch with AppsFlyer for games today and unleash your game's true potential. AppsFlyer for games, supercharging the gaming landscape. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. So someone who's not celebrities, Sony. Yeah. So we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit before, but I just kind of want to break this down and speculate as to what's really going on at Sony. I don't think it's been really covered all that well, to be honest, because the fact that Jim Ryan stepped down or is stepping down by March 24 after 30 years with the company is kind of a big deal because he's only been the CEO for about five years. And then they're replacing him with Hiroki Totoki. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's only the interim. The fact that they're replacing it with someone like him and don't have a succession plan is also some kind of indication. So putting all these tea leaves together, I think I have like a reasonable speculation and talking to a lot of people. But the background is that Ryan was promoted to CEO in April of 2019. He'll finish his five-year reign by March 24. So his strategy in an investor day presentation was this, commercial expansion by tiered subs, online store improvement, and PSVR2, portfolio expansion by acquisitions, including Bungie, IP investments, and live services. This is the big one. Audience expansion by moving to PC, mobile, and looking for things beyond console, right? Streaming and stuff. So for the most part, I want to be straight up is that I think Ryan did a great job. I think he did an exceptional job growing against Microsoft. Like he basically destroyed Microsoft, particularly this generation. And the majority of his plan is executed relatively well. Like, I think there's been some shortfalls in terms of games coming out and stuff like that. Hardware limitations were not really his fault, right? It was just basically the nature of what was happening, you know, in a really tough environment. 
The store definitely has improved. The PC strategy seemed to have worked for the games that they've come out. I think they could be even more aggressive there. But I think where he has fallen down and potentially has been the cause of his departure is the software, the service, and mobile. Both kind of the cornerstones, in my opinion, to his growth strategy for the company and to bring them to of age. Now, to be clear, this is exactly what I called out after the Bungie acquisition, right? So part of his strategy and one of the big components of the strategy was the Bungie acquisition. So I look back at Twig 169 and what I said was that Bungie was going to be completely independent. And this independence will make it very challenging to get software as a service synergies for the legacy studios of Sony. Furthermore, I've been saying all the power at Sony resides in the studios, right? Not publishing, not marketing, not execs, right? It's all the studios. And someone like Jim Ryan telling these studios, even through a proxy like Bungie, made no sense from the get-go, right? And even without Bungie, right? Teams like Naughty Dog, Insomniac, Gorilla, Santa Monica, et cetera, they're going to just go say, we're going to do what we do because we've been doing this forever and we're very successful, right? And frankly, these guys never had the teams or the tools to really execute against software as a service anyway. Not to mention the IP fit's not there for something like God of War or Last of Us, et cetera, for online services, generally speaking. I mean, it's a much tougher sell. So that's kind of what I was saying. I think that's exactly kind of what happened right in this situation. So here's a speculation on my part, right? This is all speculation. This is not fact, just to be clear, right? I think Jim was getting pressure from investors and likely some idiot McKenzie consultants that this was a way to ensure Sony's future, right? Is to force feed fucking software as a service with your successful studios. So, and because he was out there telling investors that he was like 60% of all PS5 development is on software as a service. They have 12 huge projects in development, $1 billion being spent on software as a service games in, in the last year. Meanwhile, during that time, metrics from Destiny were falling off a fucking cliff. The last expansion was a disaster. Marathon is not on track. They delayed it to 2025. The Last of Us multiplayer thing is all but canceled. And the mobile strategy went nowhere. So basically everything I suspected basically came true, in my opinion, anyway. And ultimately, I think what they're going to do is streamline and focus on a few or bigger projects, right? Ultimately, which kind of made sense from the get-go. That's the type of strategy I would have done, right? Is like, look, you got the Jade Raymond group, Bungie, and you got Haven. Let them try to figure this shit out. Let everyone else kind of do what they do, right? Unfortunately, I think mobile will likely be streamlined as well. And again, focus on one or two games. But again, it kind of feels what happens with Nintendo mobile strategy where, you know, they tried to make a big go at it, but it didn't, wasn't successful. And hell, Sony hasn't even gotten there yet. They haven't even released a product. But I bet ultimately they'll go to more of a licensing model, if I were to guess. So basically, in essence, I think the internal powers that be in the studio basically said, we're not doing that. And now they're going to hire these OG, like Japan type executives to run the show. And it's going to be very similar to what it was before, you know, for better or for worse, this is the part I have to figure out. Is this actually a good thing or a bad thing for Sony? And I don't know yet, really. I think it's a good thing, but we'll see. So on the mobile side, maybe it's a strategy mismatch, but they did state that they wanted half of their games to be on PC and mobile by 2025. And the mobile division was set up to be independent from the console business and operate very differently. And then some of us might remember earlier in the year that they bought Savage Games and acquired that to be part of the PlayStation mobile 
division. What I hear in the wind is that they really want to take big swings, kind of like what Hasbro is doing. Like, hey, we only want to go big. We want to go for grand slams. We want big IP and big games on mobile. God of War, Horizon against, you know, the PlayStation IPs that they own. And I'm not sure if Destiny is on that list or not. I don't know how they think about that now, but it could make sense. Although mobile shooters are really rough. Ask anyone who worked on Apex or on Battlefield how it is to do a mobile shooter these days. I would hope that they would do something, but this is typically what happens when you have these bigger companies. They don't want to take their eye off the ball on big bets. Remember when we were at EA with JR, it was like, no, we're focusing. We're going to do big bets. We're not going to do any ancillary shit anymore. So is that what's going on with mobile, you think, Russ? It just seems DOA from my vantage point anyway. Like the two main guys are already gone. The strategy doesn't seem to be working. Like you said, Destiny Mobile is a tough proposition in this market right now. And I don't know if they can pull it off. I don't even actually know who's making it, to be honest. Is it really Bungie working on it? I don't know. I don't even know if anyone is working on it. Has- I, yeah, I don't think they are. Yeah. So my whole point here, and I guess I have a broken record on this point, is that when you look at what's happening at these big companies, you got to see what the vision of the CEO is, right? The one that's who's in charge, who's pushing all these agendas, right? You know, with Jim Ryan, they're going for broke, right? And they're trying to do all these crazy things that are just not in their DNA. And I think it's kind of backfired. And if they go back to the traditional Japanese strategies, it's a different company, you know, and it's a different priorities. And Hiroki is basically OG Japan, you know, COO type. And I think they basically revert back. Again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for PlayStation. I think they've dominated the market by doing what they do, right? I think we will continue to see these crossover strategies, right, with TV and movies. I think that's been very successful for them. But I think software, service, and mobile are just going to go be pulled back dramatically. That's what I think. But again, it depends on who the new CEO actually becomes. But I do think the powers that be at the studio and in Japan have spoken, and they want to pull back on this shit. And again, this is all very speculative. As a prediction, we should see teams getting resized or eliminated. We should see mobile get divested. We should see them canceling projects behind the scenes and visibly. That's the type of activity we should see if I'm right, but we'll keep tracking it going forward. All right. Continuing on the theme of big changes. So Supercell's Brawl Stars is going to be making a big change to their game starting in January, 2024. You will no longer be able to purchase the Brawl Pass with gems. So in sum right now, you have three ways you can kind of purchase the pass. You have the free track, then you have a gem one where you buy it with gems, and then you have an IAP based one. So the gem one is going to be converted to a $6.99 IAP. It was about $5 in value in gems prior. And then the pass plus will be about $10.999. The idea here is that the rewards will be better. I think the changes below why they're doing that are trying to make the value worth it to players. And in any type of mobile game, especially in casual does this too, once you kind of convert something to you're going to pay with dollars, you have a lot more flexibility in what you can actually give away. Whereas if you're charging something with in-game currency, you have to be really careful about what you're actually giving away for that currency because you don't want to lead to problems like inflation. And also if we look at kind of the data AI, thanks data AI, a chart of Brawl Stars revenue, It has been on the decline since 2021. And so, again, I think this is also a play to, they want players to feel like there's more of a payer advantage, which probably is a little bit lacking in feeling right now in the game. So 
there's a lot of videos and explanation on this, but my understanding is how free players typically work. If you hoard your gems and you save them, you can effectively purchase the pass every other pass, so every four months. And this was actually the most effective way and the efficient way to spend gems. So now that this is gonna be changing, question is what are you gonna be spending gems on now? There's lots of hypotheses. We're not sure until it's going to be released, but it seems to be gems will be on cosmetics, other progression sinks, which hopefully they make sure they add. So a little bit into the changes themselves. So duration of seasons are changing from two months to one month. So instead of having six seasons per year, they're going to have 12. What they're hoping is that those that complete the pass progressions should feel faster, but only about 15% of players complete the pass. 85% do not. And the ones that 15% that do, there's a feeling that they're not really feeling like they're getting awarded enough for what they're putting into it. What Supercell's reported is that they, most players collect the brawler and stop. Again, looking at the charts, you can see spikes in their revenue and spikes in their revenue seem to correlate with the release of the pass. So if I was their product person, the idea here is that the changes that they're making will keep revenue consistent, but having additional passes means it'll be more frequent. So... Completing the pass is also changing. There's going to be a change from right now you have to play daily and they're going to be making it a little bit more flexible and adding in more seasonal quests. So you get to choose a little bit more when you want to play. So it's not, you don't have to come back every day. And then they're changing the difficulty of hard quests. They're increasing the number of medium quests, but then they're also changing the rewards for all these that will contribute to how you complete the pass. So all of that's going to be changing. This is catering to more player habits. I feel like kudos to their data and product people to say, to observe, hey, I feel like we can give more to players by making it a little bit flexible. Players aren't able to play every day. We want to cater. We want to make sure that we have a way to keep them engaged and ultimately monetize them. So I think those changes, I think, are good. The rewards are all changing. So the free pass is actually getting an increase in all of the currencies. They're also adding in a yearly bundle, 348 star drops, which will guarantee 12 legendary star drops. Bling has been nerfed, so that hasn't been increased, and this kind of affects your ability to choose the items you want. But gems have been buffed, and the additional star drops will ultimately lead to more cosmetics. What has been removed are chroma credits and chromatic rarity. I've been watching all the YouTube videos on this and the advice is spend them now or they will be converted to credits. The advantage of spending them now is to make sure you have a look at the charts to see which brawlers are going to be converted to mythic or legendary and the advice is to buy those now. I mean, chromatic brawlers will be moved to star road and they can be obtained with gems or credits. So. I think there's going to be a little bit of changes to how fast players can unlock brawlers, but it's supposed to not feel as painful because you'll basically be getting more credits to be able to buy the ones you want. Changes in paid, obviously the new $6.99 pass, that's the monthly cost or what would be the monthly cost. 12,000 coins, 3,000 power points, 1,000 credits, 1,700 in bling, 100 gems. Brawlers will be removed. They're not going to be part of the pass anymore. But again, you will have the ability to unlock any brawler you want up to Epic or claim credits instead. Again, unlocking brawlers slower, but having more flexibility. For Pass Plus, you get a whole bunch of stuff. 25% of the pass is completed immediately, and you're going to be getting exclusive cosmetics like skins and titles. Tail rewards will be converted to star drops. So I feel like I just spoke a whole bunch of numbers and economies. Phil, this is like your, this is up your economic alley. What are your thoughts on the changes? This game's in the shitter. I mean, this game's been in the <laughs> shitter for a while. 
I mean, this this game launched in 2018, doing more than 20 million a month uh, per platform. So about 40 million a month. It, you know, it was down from May 2021. There was this huge decline all the way for about a year. It was just an absolute free fall in both platforms, both in revenue and in downloads. I don't think anyone knows what, what happened during May 2021. There was IDFA during that period, but we see these changes pretty immediately on both Google Play and on Android. So there's a big mystery about why this game declined nearly 50%. Then, of course, they made the huge announcement earlier this year that they're going to remove loot boxes for reasons that I don't think anyone understands. That made them sink another 12 to 15%. Javier Barnes, our own Javier Barnes, wrote an incredible piece on this. I highly recommend everyone checking it out. And one of the things he recommends in that piece to get Supercell and get Brawl Stars back on track is a more active live ops strategy. And I think that's exactly what they've done here. And they're clearly taking a playbook out of Marvel Snap, which has been doing the monthly battle passes. And this is something I harkened back to, God, almost three or four years ago when Clash Royale first introduced their there is it nearly nuked to the game just because they were giving away so much content so 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 much content and there's been this paradigm ever since Fortnite that this is the solution to do battle passes and to move away from loot boxes and everyone started to realize after Fortnite did that that oh wait this is an engagement driver this isn't much of a monetization driver so the key question everyone's been trying to solve I think for the last three to five years it's like, well, how, how do we make it a monetization driver? How do we build more things around this? And I, again, I, I think Marvel Snap really started to tweak the formula in the right way. So we think back to like the model of Battle Pass. If we really want to understand the monetization depth of this, we can think of average daily monetization cap or basically the maximum amount of money you could spend in a given season. And so that's a function of how many tiers you have. So if you have 70 tiers, you multiply that by the price of each tier. So if it's a bucket tier, that's $70 worth of spend. And you add that with the price of the pass. So in this case, it was you know $5 previously. And then you divide that by the number of days. And what really has been tweaked in a lot of these recent formula updates is like, okay, well, we're not going to really change the amount of tiers. And yeah, we'll do a little tweak to the prices, which is what they've done here. They've increased price. But really what we're gonna do is we're gonna change that denominator. We're gonna change the number of days. So if you go from 60 days, which is what they had previously down to 30 days, it's almost a doubling of the monetization cap because you have such little time or such less time to be able to complete the pass. And not only that, you're monetizing every single month. You look at Marvel Snap's revenue, what happens every single month? You see a spike, the battle pass has come out. Everyone wants to get the new card that's at the end of it. To make something like that happen, to make that incredible pace happen, you need a ton of consumables in your economy. You need zero marginal cost items that you can just shit on the pass. And this is the problem in HD, is you don't really have that, right? You have these cosmetics, which are individual unique items. And even when you break down Fortnite's battle passes, a lot of it's just filler stuff, right? It's, hey, we're gonna give you XP towards the next tier, which is a freebie, or we're gonna give you a little bit of soft currency. And a lot of these mobile games can do a lot of these consumables. They, they have gems, they have XP boosters, they have these zero marginal cost items really what you need to get right is you need to get the first item in the past right and you need to get the last item in the past right you need to make sure you bookend it in the right way because the first item in the past is going to get you the initial purchase the last item in the past might get you some tier spend and of course it's engagement and retention this is great. This is exactly what Brawl Stars should be doing. They should have done this a long time ago. But this is, again, another twist on, hey, how do we take Battle Pass and how do we add this to become a monetization driver? The only thing that drives me fucking crazy, and I will write a check to any team that runs this experiment, please almighty God someone do this, is that add hard level labeling to the Battle Pass. We know this works in match three, just make the level hard. And so if you have an S-curve 
difficulty curve, even if you have exponential difficulty on your battle pass, just label one of the levels hard because it has more experience points that you require. And I guarantee you're going to see an increase in tier spend. There just hasn't been enough optimization around trying to make more money out of tier spend. We're super reliant on that fixed cost for each of the battle passes. And there's just so much more opportunity to monetize these tiers in an exciting way. But like, this is a step in the right direction. But again, like they're in such a hole, <laughs> like we're talking about a 75% decline from their heights. There is a huge amount of work they need to do to get out of this hole, but at least this is a step in the right direction. Hey game devs, are you tired of dealing with complicated payment processes all over the world? Well, Exola's got your back with Exola PayStation. It has a simple, user-friendly interface that makes it easy for players to pay for your games and in-game content however they want. And because the Exola PayStation user interface is adaptive and accessible on smartphones, tablets, and PCs, your players will have a seamless experience no matter their preferred device. Players can save their favorite payment methods for future purchases, and on mobile, even charge purchases directly to their phone carrier bill. On the back end, you can customize your checkout with game-specific integration options like sidebars and iPhones, frames, as well as change colors, fonts, and images to make PayStation look and feel like a natural part of your game. Ready to see Exola's PayStation in action? Visit exola.pro payments DOF or visit the link in this podcast description. I wanted to talk to you about Heroic Labs. Building a successful game is hard enough without worrying about building your own game tech as well. Heroic Labs provides a comprehensive game stack to help you get your game into market faster and scale beyond the competition. With their Unity game framework Hero, you can cut development and prototyping time in half and quickly add social, economy, and reward systems to grow your game. Satori, the live ops platform built specifically for the games industry, lets you run live events, A-B tests, deliver dynamic content to players, and always keep your game growing. Nakama, the industry's leading open source game server, lets you develop locally, providing all social and competitive features for your game, and then seamlessly transition to their Heroic Cloud hosted service and easily scale to meet the largest of audience demands. Find out how to get started at HeroicLabs.com. All right, Phil, take it away for the finals. The finals, a first-person shooter, drew 7.5 million players during its open beta. This is the first game from the wonderful Swedish studio Embark, run by former DICE CEO and 50 million a year EA exec Patrick Soderlund. The studio was founded a full five years ago. This is the first product we're seeing from them. They have one other title that they've teased, which is going to be some sort of free-to-play RPG. They are owned by Nexon, who has already plowed over $100 million into the game. Jen, have you had a chance to play this yet? I didn't get a chance to play, but I saw a little bit. So the reason I saw it is I, I feel like a proud parent. I've taken on a marketing intern over here at Jade Inferno Consulting. So Hapu started this week, and he's already making me feel like a Gen X boomer. I have to combine those because nobody knows what Gen X is. But they just call us boomers. We're not boomers, Cress. You and me are not boomers, but I kind of felt like it. So apparently, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. It's all about how you act, right? And the things oh. you say. You can be a boomer. You don't necessarily need to be a boomer, you know, by the numbers. It's <laughs> Just... a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. All right. Well, I'm proudly wearing the Gen X lifestyle. Then. I know you use a lot of boomer language, Jen. I'm sorry. <laughs> you said earlier you're gonna double click into something. I almost puked yeah. in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> Dude, yeah. People said That's that like, at Riot all the time, and they weren't. Let's boomers. take a step back. There's like a better be a bingo card for this. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine. When you've been doing this this long, you pick up the lingo. So what is it except for double click? 
I'm going to dive into it. What do you say? I'll, I'll get a bingo card for next week. Little 29-year-old over there. Okay. So apparently the finals is a massive hit, especially in the East. So this isn't what I expected to hear. All the cool kids are playing it, especially in the Eastern regions. And so I'm sure you're going to get into some of the game details, but I wanted to touch on a little bit of the controversy that came up. They are using a lot of AI voices in the game. So they did use humans to record a lot of the voice acting, but then they did that text to speak AI where the filler VO came in and, and it sounded very AI. And so the industry was a little bit kind of pissed off at these guys saying, hey, what are you doing? Are you actually paying the talent for this? They actually had to come out and through a spokesperson say, yeah, making the games without actors isn't an end goal for the team. So they felt the pressure to walk back the use of AI voice. So it'll be interesting to see how much AI voice improves if they actually go in, record the actors and compensate the actors and publicly talk about that because they got so much pushback. So that was just another way that AI is influencing our industry, maybe for good, maybe for evil. We'll have to see. But Phil, you know, what's going on with some more of the details inside the game? So I played a lot of this over the weekend, um, and I think there's this key question that everyone in, in shooters is asking right now, which is like, what comes after Battle Royale? Because right now, to Chris's point almost, it's starting to look like MOBAs. Uh, you've got Fortnite, you've got Apex, you've got Warzone, you've got PUBG. Is there really any room for anyone else? Is there any beachhead that you can try to assault? And so the answer seems to be no. So the question is like, okay, well, can we evolve this in any way? And so Extraction Shooters has been one answer to this. Perhaps this is the future, this is the next evolution of Battle Royale. I'm highly skeptical of that, and I think all evidence points to complete and utter failure for Extraction Shooters. But there's been this one <laughs> other answer, which has been kind of this multi-team first-person shooter. So there was this game called Allura Prime, which is out of Fall Damage, which is a studio here in Sweden that sold for pennies on the dollar. That's been a disaster. There's this Helsinki studio called Red Hill Games, which had a game called 9 to 5, which was also doing this another complete disaster they've all failed it's just unclear to me what these teams thought they were solving with having multi-team first-person shooters and all of them were based around the idea that you were going to go after this bomb very much like csgo you have these teams you're spawning on a map you're trying to secure a bomb you're trying to wait and defend and let it explode not that exciting and of course one of the problems that you have when you have these multi-team games is you have what we call the blindside ratio where it's the percent of deaths where the killer's off screen so you end up getting shot in the back quite a bit on these games when you have a game that's team versus team you can just kind of come at each other and shoot each other but when you have multiple teams you're, you're more likely to die from being shot from behind so what's the thesis here totally unclear to me the mode is kind of an absolute disaster what they want to achieve maybe it's a casual version of csgo and rainbow six siege there's great apex style transversal everyone seems to love that that seems to be a great pickup there's destructibility they brought that back from battlefield remember these are all the ex-battlefield devs but again you know <laughs> What does destructibility get you? Where's the retention in that? Where's the gameplay in that? What, is, what does that do for you has always been the question that we asked at DICE because a lot of these features are great for back-of-the-box back features. We had this creative director who in the wake of Battlefield Five, gave a great presentation. And one of the things he asked was, you know, what about Battlefield Five really captured the imagination? So when you think about all these other Battlefield games, oh, wow, there's a Zeppelin. Can I go into the Zeppelin? Oh, there's an F-12 fighter jet. That's so cool. Can I go in that? Can I ride in this World War One Land Raider style tank? And we kind of failed on Battlefield Five in capturing the imagination. And I'm not quite sure that 
this does that either. What about the destructibility kind of captures the imagination here or kind of enhances gameplay or attention? I just, I don't really get it on this one. I, I really think the team here needs to go back to the drawing board on the mode. I think I think there's something here. The, the class system is great. There's something really compelling here and how they got each of those components right. But the mode is just a complete disaster. It doesn't seem to solve any problem that any of the designers have. And I will give credit to Eric Kress here, or perhaps I will clarify my position. This is the exact type of title that should be paid early access before going directly to free to play, or it should even just be a paid box product. The server costs for a game that has server-side physics calculation are going to be fucking insane, especially for a free-to-play title. I hope Nexon looks at their invoices this month because they're going to get a huge-ass server bill for this beta weekend. I don't know, Eric, did you have a chance to play this one either? I actually did a little bit, and frankly, not enough. The game visually looked phenomenal. I don't have really any deep analysis here. I think that, like the game has clearly been marketed well, right? I think like a lot of people know about it. But I'm not really too sure what this really brings to the market. I don't know if it differentiates itself enough to really maintain this dedicated like niche base of people to keep paying. It's possible. It's possible. And maybe if you're right about Asia, maybe they do capture some kind of like a few million people in Asia that, that are willing to spend. I'm not sure. But I think I agree with you. I think this should have been a $40 product with microtransactions and, and market it that way to recoup some of the insane amounts of dev spend that's been spent for the last three or four years. I know, five years, I know, I know. five years. But what I think is going to happen, like just to be clear, is that this is gonna have a really big launch with lots and lots of DAUs and MAUs, and it's gonna get a lot of attention from influencers and they're gonna do it all. Like they seem to have a great marketing team. And you know, Soderlin's been around the block, right? But I think it'll die really quickly. This is candy. Everyone's gonna yeah. get a sugar high. Yeah. yeah. But we'll see, you know, I'm hoping for the best. I do think Soderlin will end up back at one of the big publishers next year. So that's what I think. <laughs> I noticed this was trending really high on Twitch during the open beta timing. So it was getting a lot of attention. So I think you're right in the sugar high. I mean, I think people are looking for something different. I think everyone, especially the young pups are all looking for. So that was very boomer, right? Young pups. So they're looking for something new and for diff something differentiated and I feel like we saw this in the toy industry as time was going on. Kids used to be into a brand for like six months or a year. They'd buy all the toys, all the t-shirts. And then one of the reasons why I left the toy industry is that you were into a toy brand for six weeks and you moved on so quickly because there was so much content to consume. It's the same thing with TV channels. When we were growing up, there were not that many channels, not that much content. And now you turn around and you can get into something new very quickly. And so I think that's starting to happen with games where the lifespan of your attention in a single game is so much shorter than it used to be. And I think that's what Fortnite experienced. And one of the reasons why they brought back the OG map is to almost reboot the interest. It's funny when nostalgia is a thing for a 17 year old. That's exactly what I said to my son. I'm like, dude, you haven't even been on this planet long enough to be fucking nostalgia. You know? Dude, know, this was three years ago in which this map existed. You know, that's not nostalgia, right? But anyway, it is for them. 2017, 2018 is when for So six years. Yeah. So my stepson's 17. And so when this came out, you know, he was 11 and so he's like, oh, this is so nostalgic. And I'm like you can't, how on earth do you even know what nostalgia, how do you know what that word is? Anyway, let's move on to the next story. So Exola. One of our proud sponsors has a new report. They are starting to do quarterly or every half a year 
industry reports. This is called the State of Play. It's the Fall 2023 edition. It's free on their website if you want to check it out. It's a 51-page report. So I have asked their CEO, Chris Hewish, to do a podcast in the next couple of weeks so we can do a little bit more in-depth into their findings. So look for that pod in the next few weeks as I record that one. So just a few key takeaways that I had. First, it was really interesting. I've been wondering how their web shops have been doing. Obviously, I know Scopely uses them. I think Supercell does too on some of their games. So they have had a pivotal role in launching web shops for 40 of the top 100 mobile games. And so something that we consider, and I have no idea if Brawl Stars has a web shop or not, but are we going to start seeing signals from data AI that are coming down, but perhaps the overall revenue is going up? We already know that ads isn't accounted for in some of the numbers that we use from data AI, although they have a new product where you can see ad revenue. So it's just something for us to consider as we're evaluating games are more and more of these payments turning the web payments and not being tracked and not representing the full value. So something there. So let me talk about real-time payments. This actually goes back to some of the podcasts we've been doing on India. So real-time payments are defined as payments made between bank accounts that are initiated and cleared and settled within seconds. So this is at any time or day of the week, holidays and weekends included. It improves the transparency and confidence in payments, helping consumers, banks, and businesses manage their money. So if you're in the U.S. and you use Zelle, this would be an example of a real-time payment. The reason why this is really important is the expansion of this type of technology and service is now starting to open up new markets. So first, 28% of all electronic payments worldwide are projected to be real-time payments by 2027. And that is a year-on-year growth of 63%. So this is really starting to roll out in a big way. You might remember from our UPI conversation, Unified Payments Interface on India, UPI is a real-time payment system. And so in August of 2023, so just recently, UPI has reached a historic milestone by crossing the 10 billion transaction mark. And it is 46% of all real-time transactions worldwide. So so India is half of all these transactions right now. Brazil, so this is kind of interesting because we always, you know, how we call India mice nuts for revenue opportunity. We also say that for Brazil, even though they have massive player counts. So Brazil has just launched PIX in 2020. So this is their version of a low-cost QR code-based payment method And then now they're gaining a lot of traction. They're growing uh, to 131 million users, and it's the third fastest growing real-time payment market. So the U.S. has a little bit of catching up to do. I had no idea about this, but during the summer, July 2023, the Fed launched FedNow. And this is now in pilot testing, and it's going to be, Zelle is a private company that's doing real-time payments. So FedNow is going to be central from the U.S. bank solution. So that will be projected to have 11.4 billion transactions by 2027. So that is going to overtake what India is doing today. So why am I going into all of this? I think it's really helpful for us to think about how certain markets will be able to improve their monetization through real-time payment solutions. It's going to reduce friction. It's actually also going to allow some of these markets that are unbanked, especially in Southeast Asia, markets that we haven't really been able to monetize in the past, in the next you know, three to five years, we might start seeing a little bit more coming out of these markets. And so yes, Cress, I know you're about to yell mice nuts at me, 
But I think it's important for us to look ahead, look at the horizon, see where things are going and know that we might be able to start realizing a little bit more from these markets. And also, as we look and evaluate competitive games, we have to think about and project out what are web payments in some of these games so that we can really understand the full business opportunity that some of our competitors have. Yeah. Mice nuts. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't get a chance to read the report. So this is what the report's all about. It's just all about alternative payments yeah. in third world countries. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. And so I didn't even get into the section. He goes into Latin America and MENA in those regions and some of the trends there. I wanted to just, this all kind of grouped together as UPI. So I'm not poo-pooing on the idea of expanding to these third world countries and doing, you know, these type of payment systems at all. Like, I think this is a benefit for the big, again, like as the market matures and you lose the ability to grow within your core territories, you have to actually find ways of expanding revenue. And this is what the big will do. So when you talk to Moon Active and Zynga and I don't know who else, like Supercell, like, yeah. Scopely. Scopely. Yeah. yeah you have to pursue these opportunities and these will be viable opportunities to target and penetrate these markets. So again, when I say mice nuts, I'm just saying it's a small opportunity for a company that is trying to build a game that's successful. You should be focusing on the US and tier one English countries at first. And then these are all secondary tier third markets for the big. And then obviously, again, another benefit for the big longer term is that they're the ones that are likely going to be able to monetize these markets the best because they have the resources to execute against this stuff. And we talked about with the India stuff. I mean, it's not a small amount of investment to make a game work for India, right? It's just not. Like he said it in the 10 things you need to do, right? Yeah. So anyway, by the way, when did Chris Hewish become fucking CEO? Like, I guess he's interim CEO. It, yeah, that's what I saw on the website. And he is their anointed spokesperson. Yeah, I didn't hear anything about this on the press. And I want Chris to reach out and tell me what the F is going on because... <laughs> Yeah, he was a president. Now he's his interim CEO. Does that mean he's large and in charge? What's going on? Um, yeah, so I think a, so. Give me a shout. So Mishka actually has an interview with Chris coming out in the feed in the next couple of weeks. And then I'll try to stagger my deep dive into this report with him like a few weeks later so we don't get overloaded with the Chris news and Exola news. Well, ask him. Just ask him straight up. What the hell's yeah. going on? Why, right. Sure. What's the promotion all about? For sure. Cool. Omega Strikers from Odyssey Interactive has announced that it is going to be shutting down. Odyssey Interactive, of course, is made up of former Riot devs. They had raised about $25 million. And if you forget about Mega Strikers, it was a MOBA-style soccer game with three versus three isometric action and a soccer ball. The game lasted six months in soft launch before launching worldwide earlier this year. And if also you remember, this was a cross-platform title across Steam, Mobile, and Switch. It's unclear why they left early access. Jen, I think you worked with this team when you were at Riot. Yeah, I listen, I'm so sad for these guys. This is the way back machine now, but Dax and Henkel were my dev counterparts. And so I worked extremely closely with these guys on TFT, both TFT PC and mobile. So really smart guys, really player focused. I'm cheering them on for their next game. Innovative, great character art. The branding is on point. They know how to find the fun. They did have some fun in the game, but not enough to obviously make it a viable business. But here's the thing I wanted to point out that people can learn from. Number one is the way that they acknowledge the players and speak to players and have very player-focused solutions to winding down a game. And one of the things I want to applaud them on was 
any money that you continue to spend on Omega Strikers. So the game is going to continue. They're just not introducing any new features, any new updates. So you can still spend money in that game. If you choose to spend money in Omega Strikers, you will be granted a premium currency in their next game. So it's actually a great marketing hook to get that audience to transition to their next game. But it feels really good as a player for that to be acknowledged. So I want to applaud them on that and cheer them on for their next venture. Good guys. I don't want to kick them when they're down, but just stop making MOBAs. Just stop. Just stop. How many times do I got to say it? I'm with you. And they had a vision here, which is Rocket League meets League of Legends. But this to me is exactly the difference between a vision and a thesis. That is a vision that is not a thesis. A thesis is the best argument for why a game will work or should work. And when you say things like Rocket League, you need to understand that Rocket League isn't just about a soccer ball. Rocket League is about emergent gameplay. It's about the physics of the ball, the cars, the map. There's a story of flip resets, which is one of the most powerful moments in the Rocket League community, where they made this small, almost accidental update, where if the four wheels of the car touched a surface that you would get another jump. And when players accidentally figured out that, hey, if I've touched the wheels against the ball, I could reset it, they realized that they could now do two jumps and now they could do the swinging motion, completely changes the game of Rocket League. So to get to a point where you have that almost accidental discovery, that emergent gameplay, you need a million different things, a million different seeds to make that happen. But those are the type of things that happen in a game like Rocket League when you have, for example, physics, when you have cars, when you have all these things, they come together and you have this emergent gameplay. And when you think about the design space of a MOBA, there's no Z-axis, right? You can't really jump. It's played on a 2D plane. And so a lot of that emergent gameplay type stuff, a lot of that physics shrinks significantly. And so I'm taking them to task on using Rocket League as one of their examples. But when you say those things, you need to really dig into them. What exactly do we mean by this? Why has that game been successful? And ultimately, how are you going to translate those learnings to the game that you're making here? If there are other companies that are going after this MOBA X something fusion, please, almighty God, at least start in Dota. Start as a mod. Like This is how a lot of these things emerged. And this is how Auto Chess started, right? Start as a mod with inside of Dota, see whether or not you can get any traction, and then go out and raise $25 million. You're going to have a stronger case here. That feels to me like a better strategy for a lot of these ex-Riot devs. Like Test somewhere where you can get product out quickly. Right. Can't disagree. I, and I also think, think there's a fundamental... like business model problem with this, right? Rocket League saw only success because of the scale of that game. It wasn't because the monetization was all that particularly strong, you know? In order to reach that kind of like cosmetic economies we talked about, you have to reach a certain level of scale in order to really make good money on them, right? And that's really fucking hard to do. But that has a tier two problem for them, right? They, they never had users. It was, it was no, declining as true. soon as they I just looked at the data. That was not good, man. <laughs> it was, it's awful. Yeah, it was really bad. $25 million. Jesus. This is like a... Lightspeed joint or something. There's more of these Riot devs coming with MOBA meets X. Yeah. I would encourage those devs who are making those games to really think about the thesis of that. Yeah, just stop making MOBAs. Just stop. Stop. There are no successful MOBAs out there besides the ones that are successful. <laughs> it's like, that's it. It's over. Question for you guys. Is it 5v5 that's the problem or is like a 3v3 going to open up more opportunity? The reason why I say that is... Having worked at Riot on League of Legends, it is so difficult for you and your friends, for you to have four other friends that want to play League of Legends at the exact same time and jump in. So many people that play have to solo queue. And then when you're in there, you're getting yelled at by your friends and it feels miserable. Is there an opportunity in this space to do 3v3 and you only need to find two other people to play with? And then you have more social 
kind of pressure no. is that an opportunity no. no super evil megacorp tried this stuff it's it's not a big enough swing it's not a big enough thesis like here's of the storm was at least a solid thesis right which is that games are lasting 40 minutes they're lasting 50 minutes they're a huge time sink no one wants to commit to that um, people want to get to the end game quicker they want to level up inside of the rounds quicker all right let's see if we can have group leveling let's get people to the max leveling curve within 20 minutes that was a real thing that was and they came out and they did they did something yeah right so again like what is the thesis here what is the big problem that you see in mobas that you your team is going to go out and solve because just smashing two genres together this shit happened in mobile a long time ago it's not a thesis it's just what if we smash these two things together it's you know you don't have oil and water or peanut butter and jelly so like put a little more thought into this all right we'll see jen we're going to do a counter of all of your boomer expressions on the podcast great just to make you feel really self-conscious every minute on the podcast <laughs> i think phil had it right let's do a bingo card of, and on the bingo card I needs put you to on be, there too, yeah my I, I know <laughs> i'm as guilty i say stupid shit all the time that makes me feel old and sound old i'm not sorry well okay we'll do a counter for me too okay and we'll have a swear jar too oh well yeah no it's too, we'll late, too late for that i'll yeah we'll, we'll do the piggy bank monetization <laughs> <laughs> alright guys until next week stay out of trouble you did it you made it to the end of the episode as a fan of the show it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice more importantly are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group if you have 5 years or more of games industry experience go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand, or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.